I'm your host, Annie Bowles, and this is a bonus episode of News Du Jour. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to a bonus episode of News Du Jour. So today I have a special guest on the phone with us. Um, Her name is Tanya Smith, and I went to American University with her, and we had a couple classes together and a couple mutual friends, and she's someone I always admired from afar. But she started a new project recently that I just thought was super cool, so I thought I would interview her about it and see what you guys think. So... Um, for our first question, I was just hoping, Tanya, you could introduce yourself, tell us where you're from, what did you study at school, where did you go to school, obviously you went to American with me, but <laughs> what is your career background and what are you doing now? Great, well, hi everyone, I'm so happy to be here on the News Du Jour podcast, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm Tanya, I was born in the U.S., but later raised in Haiti for most of my adolescent years, and so I identify as a Haitian-American black woman. I recently graduated from the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy at Tufts University with a master's degree, and I focus primarily on international affairs, and for the most part, that has been my career background. I have over four years of experience working in the international development field with uh, on-the-ground experience in countries like Haiti, Mexico, Kenya, and Morocco, and I'm particularly passionate about women's empowerment, gender equality, and just making a positive social impact in my work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's definitely something I could tell about you from going to school with you, which, you know, wasn't abnormal on our campus. You know, American University um, has a lot of great activism going on. So, Um, okay. And then, you know, what was your role with the Peace Corps? Tell us about that experience. Sure. So for those who uh, may not know what the Peace Corps is, it's a U.S. government-funded organization that recruits and sends volunteers to serve in various countries around the world with products in different sectors like education, um, youth development, business development, and others. It's a two-year commitment, and I served as a Peace Corps volunteer in Morocco where I focused on youth development. And so I worked under the Moroccan uh, Ministry of Youth and Sports and was placed in a women's center in a small town near Marrakesh, that's um, towards the south of Morocco. And my main responsibility uh, was supporting the center in whatever it needed, and that would vary from day to day. So sometimes I'd be asked to help with teaching English or organizing a teach-in for young women on various topics around gender equality. 
Um, but my proudest moment was when I organized a two-day workshop for female educators in my town with local experts on childhood education. Mm-hmm. And it was um, a really great training opportunity for them. Uh, and it also allowed them to build their networks <clears throat> excuse me, and come together in a way that they couldn't before. Mm-hmm. And I also worked as chair for Peace Corps Morocco's Gender and Development Committee. Mm-hmm. And uh, we developed toolkits on how volunteers could best um, work gender advocacy into their projects and their communities. That is so cool. So what did what's like an example of that? I'm going off our script for the questions, but what was an example of of that type of project? So what we would do as a committee is we would work together with uh, Moroccans. Um, in the Peace Corps lingo, they're called counterparts, so local mm. community members, and think through, okay, how could we help um, implement gender-specific um, projects in mm-hmm. a particular community? And so we would work the counterpart to come up with the language, for example, if a volunteer would want to talk about gender roles mm-hmm. um, and sexism. We'd work with Moroccans to determine, okay, how do we, um, what is the language around this? How can we get the Arabic right to, to mm-hmm. talk about um, topics around gender, sexism? Um, how can we, you know, create a format that's engaging for young people, which is the demographic that we primarily worked with in Morocco? Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be an example. So a toolkit, for example, would be um, like maybe a four to five page document on how to conduct um, uh, teaching on gender roles, for example. Mm. Super cool. Yeah. And that really goes hand in hand with your current project, which I'm so excited to talk about. So, um, to give you guys a little background, uh, Tanya just started a blog recently called musings of a millennial black girl. And one thing that I love about this blog is that it is concise and she talks about a topic in 500 words or less. Um, So it fits seamlessly into your day to kind of keep up um, with, you know, your journey of understanding the black experience, especially from a black female perspective. My audience is 98% women, Tanya, um, just FYI. So that's kind of who we're talking to right now. Um, But I wanted to ask you, how did you decide to start Musings of a a Millennial Black Girl? And what are your goals behind the blog? Um, So I started Musings of a Millennial Black Girl in late August. And Mm -hmm. At first, I decided to start the blog because I was looking for an outlet to express my ideas. Um, you know me. I'm always writing commentary on social media. <laughs> yes, and, I love it. <laughs> and I wanted a single space to focus my attention and contain all my thoughts. And then in thinking about it, I realized just how much a perspective like mine, you know, a young a woman, black millennial was missing in the blogging world. Mm-hmm. So yes. um, while the idea of the blogs, you know, began as a need to get my thoughts and ideas out there, it's become a way for me to write about what I'm passionate about, like issues that affect young women, black women especially, and human beings in general. 
And it's also a way for me to share about my life and personal experiences. But the ultimate goals are to share my experiences as a millennial black girl, to create more awareness around issues affecting women and especially black women, and to, you know, build community along the way. That is amazing. Like, I'm just... I, I love this project and I feel like it's filling a need um, that I'm seeing in my following. So tell us about your favorite post that you've done so far and what it was about. Okay. So I, I like all my posts, but uh, Bad Bitches Have Feelings Too is a post that I really enjoyed writing. It's about Megan Thee Stallion mm-hmm. and how we as consumers of her music are always ready to be entertained by her, but completely d- dismiss her when she shows that she has real problems and emotions. Mm-hmm. And this is related to an incident that happened between her and another male artist that's kind of going viable right now. Mm-hmm. And I tied that to the over-sexualization of Black women and how we're easily commodified, but seldom expected or allowed to be fully human and are often dismissed um, in our times of need or not taken seriously. Mm -hmm. And um, that tied tied in really nicely to another one of my favorite posts that talks about uh, health disparities for black women, especially um, in in relation to maternal health. Yes, that is so important and something that I'm trying to get better educated on right now. Um, you know, definitely moving into the next phase of my life, like potentially being a mom. Um, it's hitting home even more than it probably would have before. But I also wanted to say I just admire you so much for sharing your heart with people. I know that that's difficult because it's something I try and do from time to time um, with my blog. And so, you know, that's just super amazing. And it fits right into what you were talking about um, with that post. But um, our next question, what is something you haven't written about yet, but specifically wish white women were more aware of? And the main reason I'm asking this question is because that's the majority of my audience. And I get this question all the time on uh, on my Instagram, what can I be doing more of from my audience? And I want to be able to answer that question, but I don't have all the answers. So I wanted to get um, your perspective on that. Sure. Um, something that I plan to write about more and that I wish uh, white women were more aware of is that race and gender is intersectional for black women um, and women of color. Mm-hmm. And I find that sometimes uh, white women, because they don't have to deal directly with issues of racism, can focus on issues affecting their gender uh, as women as a very secular and individual thing. Whereas for me, I don't have the luxury of separating the two. Uh, I'm a black woman and I have no choice but to deal with issues of both sexism and racism. And I like using the example of of equal pay, for example, that has long been a feminist, uh, womanist issue. Uh, Mm -hmm. Black women, for example, are paid 38% less than white men and 21% less than white women. Um, And so Mm -hmm. to tackle an issue like equal pay, uh, we'd be remiss to just look at gender. You know, Mm -hmm. um, race very much has um, a, a huge part to do in the issue. And so the battle is often twofold for 
um, black women and women of color. Mm. And that's something that I wish that more white women understood. Amazing. Yes. Equal pay and other gendered issues are multifaceted. So that's something I'm going to try and work on in my conversations on these topics. Um, Okay. Uh, Our next question recognizing that you are not a spokesperson for all black women, um, but I'm trying to get more interviews going so I get more perspectives on all these topics. But if you had one ask from white women, what would it be? And what can we be doing a better or a better job at as allies? Yeah, I think it's such an important question. And you're totally right. I can't speak on behalf of all black women, but I'll speak for myself and asking that white women be more conscious about what they tolerate and allow to be said about minorities in all white spaces. And I would ask white women to critically examine how their silence in certain situations contribute to the oppression of black and brown people. And I say this because oftentimes Racism thrives on complicity, so it's counting Mm. on you not to speak up or speak out when something harmful is said or done. Mm. And, you know, notice I didn't say to speak up on behalf of minorities. I'm asking specifically that white women become more comfortable calling out their white peers on racism. Because Mm. as soon as your peers realize that you've decided not to be complicit in condoning racist behavior, you're interrupting the status quo and Mm. that really matters um and what that looks like in action because i know you know people are often like okay so what does it actually look like Mm -hmm. um i really think it looks different depending on who you are you know maybe Mm. for for you it's taking the notes of the taking a note of the demographics in your office and asking hey why aren't there more about people at the table here Mm. or You know, maybe it's backing up your colleagues of color when they bring up issues of racism at work. Mm. Um, When in conversation with your white peers, maybe it's being mindful of the conversations around you Mm -hmm. and stepping in when the conversations are getting racist or problematic. And another important thing, too, is it's important to look past your uh, interpersonal interactions and start connecting the dots on the impact of racism via institutions and systems as well. You know, the educational system, criminal system, voting, housing, racism permeates everything. And Mm. I think more white women should really um, look into educating themselves on that front um, and speak out and educate their peers on those issues also. Absolutely. And I think, you know, this newest wave of BLM has brought to light a lot of stories um, that I at least are popping into my head of examples where people didn't stand up for their friends or colleagues. And that's definitely something that um, I don't have colleagues really at the moment. I have um, one girl who works for me part time um, and then it's contractors from there that, you know, I'm definitely looking to diversify a little bit. But um, that's not to say that I'm not in social situations here in Oklahoma um, where all kinds of things are said. And anyway, that's something I am definitely going to be taking to heart myself. And I hope my listeners will do the same. Um, And then I wanted to talk about, so you're from Haiti, um, and I wanted to talk about what racism might look like in Haiti and how it might be different from here in the U.S. Yeah, 
So I'd say there are definitely elements of racism that exist in Haiti, but the com- the context is completely different than the United States. For one, Haiti has a completely different history when it comes to slavery. Mm-hmm. So enslaved people were brought to Haiti as part of the transatlantic slave trade, and Haiti was colonized by the French. However, those enslaved people rose up in a successful um, rebellion that defeated the French and Mm. created the world's uh, first free black republic, actually. And so Haiti gained its its independence from France in 1804, but slavery was abolished on the island in the early 1790s um, as a result of that rebellion effort. And Haiti is also mostly homogenous. The population is 95% black. Mm. And so I'd say some of the main problems that um, Haiti faces are issues of colorism, and that um, in turn creates prejudice and bigotry. Mm. And so colorism is Mm -hmm. valuing someone with lighter skin over someone with darker skin. And in my experience, uh, you know, you'll see that in Haiti, you know, someone with lighter skin may be given access to more opportunities or may be perceived as more beautiful. Uh, people with lighter skin mm. are perceived to be of higher socioeconomic class as well. And socioeconomic cl- uh, class factors into a lot of the issues of systemic inequality that the country faces. And lack of access to money and resources definitely Mm -hmm. severely limits your ability to get ahead. Um, And, you know, ironically, the people who hold the most power in the country do tend to be um, lighter skinned or mixed race. But uh, there hasn't been as much conversation there as to why that is or why the systemic uh, implications are. So that's um, that in a very small nutshell. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's, it's quite different. From the United States. Yeah, that is super interesting. Um, I didn't know that history um, to do with Haiti. So that's fascinating too. Um, real quick, if you would, wouldn't mind answering one question as well, um, colorism versus racism. Um, could you explain sort of if there's a major difference between those two things and what it is? Mm-hmm. So like I said, colorism is valuing someone with lighter skin over someone with darker skin. So mm-hmm. it has to do more with a person's skin tone and what uh, okay. um, harmful ideas that you attribute because someone has a lighter versus darker skin tone. And um, racism has an element of um, power to it in the sense of, you know, some um, someone of a particular race having the power to enact, um, you know, racist uh, policies um, that primarily affect, um, you know, someone of another race. Okay, um, got it. Yeah. And, and that's a very sort of bare-bones definition, um, but I think what's important to notice that element of power there. Yeah, that's really fascinating. And I had recently watched um, Self Made on Netflix. I don't know if you've seen that, but I think that probably is more, they address some issues of colorism, I think, um, 
within the black community with the Madam C.J. Walker story. Um, so I thought that was super interesting and something I really don't know anything about. So can't wait to add that to my homework list and dive into sort of, yeah, more about that. Um, and then our next question is, what are some of the biggest challenges you see BLM up against here in the United States specifically? Mm-hmm. So in the U.S., I think that one uh, one challenge is definitely how the message is manipulated as it becomes more mainstream. Mm. And you know what the new what the movement is saying at its at its at its essence, excuse me, is that Black Lives Matter. And at the base of it, that shouldn't be controversial at all. <laughs> but um, you see that the message is being manipulated by some to mean that Black Lives Matter um, over other lives, which isn't mm. the case at, at all. Um, and so a, a challenge will definitely be fighting against. Uh, entities who want to co-opt the movement to mean something that it's not. Mm. Um, And then another challenge I'm seeing is that the Black Lives Matter slogan is being used as a marketing ploy um, or, you know, for feel-good activism rather Mm. than actually working towards transformative change. And um, we've all seen this. The companies and influencers who say Mm -hmm. Black Lives Matter in a statement or a tweet but then when you really look at what they're doing to help uplift black people in communities, it's little to nothing. Mm-hmm. And so I actually encourage um, anyone listening to, to Google Movement for Black Lives, go to the website, go to the um, movement's platform. It's more than a slogan. Um, the movement actually has um, a six-step plan that includes economic justice, divestment from institutions that harm black people, Mm. and more. And they're, you know, actively, meaningfully working towards real change. And I really think that more people should be plugged into that. Wow, I love that. I have never been on their website. So (laughs) that's making me (laughs) want to go and Google that right now and just see what they actually explain the platform to be about and make sure I'm keeping my eyes on the prize with that. Um, and then my next question is, of course, what can we do to uplift you and help you grow your blog? Thanks so much for that. Mm-hmm. So go read and engage with my content. If, and, you know, if you like it, share it with others. You can find my blog at mm-hmm. musingsofamillennialblackgirl.com. And I'm on Instagram as musingsofamillennialblackgirl and on Facebook under the same name. Uh, I just started out this project, and so any support and feedback is appreciated. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And we did a blog post earlier um, with an excerpt from Tanya's blog, but it's way better if you just go straight there. Um, Obviously, I follow her, so if you have trouble in any way, you can go to my follow or who I'm following and find her that way. And then I'm going to make it a tradition to end these interviews asking people, what is your favorite quote and why? Because I just feel like that always gives me an insight into who a person is. So Tanya, what's your favorite quote and why? So I, you know, my favorite quotes change depending on what I'm going through at the time. Mm -hmm. But I have a poem that always resonates with me. It's super short and it's by Rupi Kaur. And it says, it is a blessing to be the color of earth. Do you know how often flowers confuse me for home? 
And for me, it just reiterates the power and beauty of just loving the skin you're in. And, you know, that can apply to anyone, but I think especially for um, black and brown girls talking about, you know, being the color of earth and how it's a source of growth and beauty is Mm. so powerful in the way that it just counteracts the negative messaging about um, black and brown women's bodies and reading it always gives me a breath of fresh, fresh air and I feel so empowered by it. That is so beautiful, and thank you for sharing that with us, and I hope you guys will all go and follow Tanya. Thank you so much for our first interview, and congratulations on your launch. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use to listen. A rate and review on Apple Podcasts would mean the world to us and really help us be able to keep creating the news du jour for free for you guys. You can also follow us on social media under sugarfreemedia.co on Instagram, sugarfree underscore media on Twitter, and just sugarfreemedia, all one word, on TikTok. You can also subscribe to emails on our blog so that you get an alert every time we have a new post or an announcement, and that's at www.sugarfreemedia.co. Again, that's sugarfreemedia.co. Our music is by Joey Lavoie and Nicholas Foster. Our cover art is by Hannah Pierce Photography. Our Sugar Free Media logo is by Catherine Jezik Designs. We appreciate you listening and look forward to telling you about the news again next time on News to Show. Broadcasting from... Oh!